you know, Bitcoin adoption has never been about equity in terms of like how it happens in practice. It's been about equity in terms of the end result of getting onto a better system. So it's like we need to be accurate with this. Hi, you're watching Stefan Levera podcast brought to you by swan.com. Today, we're talking about this idea of is everything good for Bitcoin? We're talking a little bit about ordinals, inscriptions, stamps, etc. And BRC20 and uh, are they good for Bitcoin? And what's, what's, you know, what is the way to think about this? What does it mean to be a monetary maximalist? Is it descriptive or is it prescriptive? We also get into some of CK's views on personal finance and what a lot of Bitcoiners might be getting wrong there. I think this is an interesting episode and I'm sure you'll enjoy it. On to the interview with Christian. Christian, welcome back to the show. Stefan, it's always a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having me back on. Right. So we're going to talk about a bunch of things. I think we can talk a little bit about, you know, monetary maximalism as contrasted with other ideas like platform maximalism or whatever. And uh, of course, we'll talk a little bit about uh, the spam because uh, that's a pretty hot topic these days. So uh, do you want to just start with your, some of your thoughts on, um, I guess, how would you define, you know, monetary maximalism? Yeah, so I think uh, this conversation was inspired by a post that you put out. It was a survey on X, and you said, like, what is your alignment? Monetary maximalism, use case maximalism, or on-chain maximalism, uh, and then I think, like, show results. Um, and I thought that that was very interesting framing, because pretty much leading up to this debate, my definition of monetary maximalism was kind of different than the framing it was being used in the the ordinal spam debate. Um, you know, I, I have a history of debating altcoiners about Bitcoin. Uh, like that, I did a show about that uh, with David Hoffman, who is uh, now at Bankless for like two years. And using monetary maximalism and like defining it and explaining it was a really big part of why I explained Bitcoin as like the only real use case for a blockchain uh, to people who had like a general blockchain worldview, right? Um, and when I explained monetary maximalism, a lot of it was inspired by like work that you had done and, and other like monetary thinkers it was always described like this is a description of how economics and data works, not a preference, right? So it's not like I prefer Bitcoin to be developed this way. It's if you are using a blockchain that has monetary tokens that take data to transact with, then by definition, over time, as the blockchain gets adopted the monetary use cases are going to price out the other use cases. Like, so I would talk to these like people who are sympathetic to ETH or Solana or whatever. And I'd be like, okay, let's just hypothetically talk about ETH becoming the thing. Okay. Well, all this like general purpose stuff gets priced out anyways, because that is kind of how the world works. Like this observation is, it's not like a preference. So, and then when I hear monetary maximalism, as regards to like a preference for a attitude towards Bitcoin usage and uh, development, I'm like, 
Like th- this doesn't compute to me. It's not a preference. It's an observation of how the world works. So it's like you can't prefer that Bitcoin is a monetary maximalist technology. Over time, mo- the monetary use cases of Bitcoin will be more dense. It's like definitionally a fact. So it's part of the game theory of how Bitcoin is designed and how it's been, you know, developed moving forward, uh, or so far. So I just don't see that changing and I don't see that, uh, again, being a preference. So I'm kind of curious, like, when did the pop, I thought the popular definition of monetary maximalism aligned with what I just described. So like, when did that change? Like, when did it become like a debate or a preference? Um, because that to me, that is, is kind of confusing and it, it feels like a double standard that's emerging, um, in order to like make a point on X. That might be a fair point. You know, I think it's, it has been debated back and forth over the years, whether this idea, is it descriptive or is it prescriptive? And, I think maybe that's where some of the confusion is. So I think it is a descriptive statement that, you know, for for most of us who are, you know, Bitcoiners, we believe Bitcoin is going to be the money of the world. But I think you're right that maybe the terminology is getting confused and uh, I should have, maybe I should have worded that better. I should have said it more like, what do you believe Bitcoin should be used for. Now, of course, there is kind of, it gets into some of the debates about, okay, information theory, you can't stop it. Spam is generally a hard thing online and just in, in general. But I'd, I'd put it this way. I think it's like, do you, what do you believe the purpose of Bitcoin should be, right? If you believe the purpose of Bitcoin should be for money, then naturally you're going to be a bit, you're not going to be supportive of, let's say, adding arbitrary data to the chain. And I think that's where maybe this kind of recent, let's say, last few months, the debate has sort of come up a bit again. Now, I think in practice, what might happen is that, you know, the some of those uses, as you say, they actually will shift away or they will try to minimize their use of the chain. And as an example, now, I guess just for context, just for listeners, we're recording this on the 12th of February. And as I, you know, as we speak, next block confirmation price is 12 sats per V-byte, or in fiat terms, it's about 81 cents. So that's down from the high. Like at least, it seems to me, the dynamic seems to be that, you know, normal monetary transactions are kind of going through all the time. And then when it's low, there's JPEGs, and then what really drives it high is when there's this BRC20 mint. That seems to be the dynamic is when there's a, a deploy and all these people are minting and that's what's driving that. Um, but uh, I yeah. guess... I mean, yeah, but here's the thing, Stefan. Everyone wants to print money. So if there's a mechanism in which you can print money and theoretically, and I'm not a lawyer, it's not going to be a security, there's a massive monetary benefit to that, like economically speaking. So it's like, while BRC20 is like a loophole that can be leveraged, like it monetary make, monetarily makes sense that that those would be transactions that demand a premium. Like, again, like, I, I don't give a shit about feelings. Like, I don't give a shit about how you want Bitcoin to work, and neither does Bitcoin. Like, that's why we're here. So it's like, let's use economics, let's use rationale, to try to understand what's happening. So like, this is my frustration with the entire conversation is like, 
The whole conversation is just devolved into like, what do you want Bitcoin to be? It's like, sorry, like that's not what I got into this thing for is what you want. I got into this thing because this is a permissionless emergent technology that is economically sound. I believe to be economically sound. And I believe it's economics makes sense into the future. Like you can count Bitcoin. Like our current system is clown world. You can't count it. You can't understand it. Like Bitcoin's an economic system you can actually observe. Like it's frustrating to me that when Bitcoiners don't do that. When Bitcoiners like go on, on the internet and like spew BS and, and because that makes us look bad. It makes our, our, our economic theories look stupid. It makes our businesses look irrelevant. Like to me, it's about being right and it's about being accurate. And I just like Bitcoiners were right three or four years ago. And I'm just, I just think that we should be consistent. Like I think that some of us have, have, have become a little bit off base because of the unexpected nature of, you know, kind of what's happened over 2023. 2023 is a hell of a year, man. Like I would love to go play by play, you know, and I don't necessarily know, like, you know, if people have really taken time to reflect, but it was a hell of a year for Bitcoin. A lot of stuff happened. So we'll do that. Let me, um, one point I want to make, which is that, uh, I think at the end of the day, it came down to whether you believe filtering would work. And my view is still that filtering is probably not going to work. And so in the end, our actual positions are probably not that far apart. It's more just that I would say the dif- the distinction or the line that I would draw is more like I would not, you know, be out there investing in quote-unquote ordinals or actually all the other BLC20 or whatever, all this other stuff. I would not be promoting it. I think that's probably the big difference. And that for me is where some of my opposition, I know you're not, I know you're at HRF now, but you know, that's where maybe some of my opposition with, you know, as you've seen, I've sort of gone back and forth with other people like Pete Rizzo or others online, or even in recent episodes, where I just see it as like, it's not something to be supported. It's like something to be treated more like email spam, right? It's like, I'm not, and I don't believe that Bitcoin is, it's like an existential threat to Bitcoin. I just see it more like, eh, it's more like a nuisance level issue uh but the pro filter people would see it like no this could become an issue if you just let it fester that's probably what they would say but what do you, you what know do you think I'm, I'm pro filter and um um pro not filter like i think everything is good for bitcoin you know i've been reflecting on this at, at first i was vehemently anti-filter because for me my heuristic around bitcoin is that bitcoin is permissionless that fees are the spam prevention mechanism and I would say, like, over the last year, like, today, Monday, fees are relatively low. Um, and they, you know, for the most part, they've worked against, like, JPEGs, right? They have not worked against people minting money, literally minting money and potentially getting around regulatory barriers to do so. Um, so, like, that, that makes economic sense to me. Uh, so, like, for me, Bitcoin's permissionless nature is part of why it's genius and part of why it will win because uh, you can't have a bunch of armchair idiots saying no this is not a good idea don't do it <laughs> like the the good ideas will naturally emerge because it is emergent technology so I was very anti the filter but then I started seeing like wow there's a lot of misunderstanding that is very prevalent amongst Bitcoin enthusiasts Bitcoin best practicers uh, the Bitcoin self-help group that is uh, speaking English on the internet and meeting up at events, 
there's a lot of misunderstandings here. So actually, this whole thing is good. Like, I ultimately think that like Bitcoin is anti-fragile technology that we are just learning to understand it over time uh, and we are all engaging with it. So um, as part of that, like we need these processes to learn, right? Like Satoshi learned all the way to the last day of him contributing to the project. And I think that like the history of Bitcoin is Bitcoin enthusiasts, like building up false narratives, having reality crush those down, and then the process in which we grapple with that. And I think that that's just never ending and, and that's the process. So I've actually become pro filter. I'm pro, uh, not filter. I'm pro having a conversation. Uh, and I think ultimately, like, let's get back to like the theories that we were talking about two or three years ago that I think hold true today. You know, like it was really funny. I was listening to your last podcast where you talked to Giacomo and he said, like, no, the, the ordinals aren't bringing in any like innovation. It's just bringing in gamblers, blah, 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 trope huge tropes and then later in the interview when he said that like nothing good can come of the shit coiners he talked about how oh he likes zero knowledge proofs and zero sync and like those were eth heads like those were literally eth heads so he like contradicted himself in the 15 minutes he was with you like look bitcoin's either anti-fragile or it's not it's either emergent or it's not it's either all the good use cases from the shit coins are going to come to bitcoin eventually or they won't like, it's like, no, the good things do come out of it. It's just 0.001% of the things. So, like, I think Bitcoin is working. That, that's my argument. And I would tell Bitcoiners, like, stop the rhetoric on the Internet. You're only making yourself look like fools. And ultimately, Bitcoin's working. It's still working. And, like, the, the, the filter talk, like, I think the best thing it has done is create a conversation in which we can start making these distinctions again. Right. And so I would say there's a couple things, like... Uh, there's some things where okay there's like this meme of oh everything is good for bitcoin right i don't really think that's serious analysis right like it's it's like it would be like if i said oh if my, if you cut off my left arm my right arm would get stronger because of the natural i'm using it more yeah but you're not bitcoin but i'm not stronger you're overall you're not decentralized network so that's that's yeah. not i think it is serious yeah. i think it is serious someone said bombing a city is is not good for the city okay but the city is centralized bitcoin is a decentralized system so I, I really do think like it's either you think that the decentralization and the permissionlessness makes Bitcoin anti-fragile, which means that it actually benefits from volatility and from stressors. So there's fragile, which means volatilities and stressors break it. There's robust. That means it is resistant to volatility and stressors. And there's anti-fragile, which means that volatilities and stretches actually make the system better so let me give you an example of this china bans spot exchanges and bans fiat on ramps to bitcoin okay well now the market goes 100 percent p2p and becomes exponentially less regulatable right like that is a demonstration of bitcoin's anti-fragile characteristics and nature so it's either bitcoin is that or it is not so, like you can't I, I don't, these, these are, again, I think these are observations. So when you say Bit, everything is good for Bitcoin, that is just a trope that you can say easily on the internet that aligns with this idea that Bitcoin is in fact an anti-fragile system. So let me put it this way. I think it's true to say Bitcoin is anti-fragile, but it's also true to point out that there are things that are 
you know, all other things equal, not good for Bitcoin. Or, 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 and here's the other point, which is that Bitcoin doesn't just magically become anti-fragile. It's because there are developers. It's because there's a network. It's because there are people plugging in, you know, mining hash rate. And because there are people running their Bitcoin node. And all of those things, that's actually what makes it anti-fragile. And so I think that's why it's sort of, and I mean, we're having the conversation now, or it's a good thing, it's a good thing for people to talk about it and actually try to understand, okay, what is this? And figure out how to make it useful for you know totally. for Bitcoin users. Look, I I 100% agree. Uh, Bitcoin's anti-fragile because of the distributed network of 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 compute. It, there is a physical distributed network of compute, and then every action that you describe that people interact is how they interact with that network of compute. Run a node, write and develop code that you can deploy uh, within the consensus rules. Uh, mine Bitcoin wherever wherever you're located. And the end result is an anti-fragile distributed network of compute. And it has very specific parameters for what is and is not a valid transaction. And that is governed ultimately by the code and the fees. And that's it, really. So, like, I, I, I think that, like, the network itself works. And I think that the network itself uh it actually shows us what we could not understand without the network because it's objective truth. So it's like, look, I could say that I don't like these transactions and that I don't think that anything good happens because shitcoining activity. But ultimately, the network is showing us that like, okay, I will absorb good things that happen from shitcoining activity. And guess what? This activity is actually coming on chain and there's economics associated with it, and I can understand those economics rather than putting my head in the sand and going la 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 like I don't like this, you know. And again, I think that the filter people like the reason I actually like the conversation that they've stimulated, and I I, I actually engage with uh with Giacomo's ideas like the thing he his argument is like don't tell me that I can't you know fight this right don't came, tell me that it's fruitless. And, and like, I like that, you know, like they built a, a mining pool. There is a market for that mining pool. There is now more choices in the ecosystem for mining pools and ways that I want to express, uh, my economic preferences on the Bitcoin blockchain. I think like that is good for Bitcoin. Uh, at the same time, like I, I think that, okay, let's say, you know, some of the pro filters people, like their ultimate goal is they want the filters in core. That's the, that is kind of like their ultimate goal. Like that's how they think that they can ultimately maximally distribute. Right. And there's been a long standing economic argument about like cores dominance as well as like, can there be another implementation, uh, to compete with, uh, core and how would that happen? Like I can't think of something that would potentially stimulate a new implementation faster than trying to cut out a large economic interest from the network. Like, let, like, let's play this out. Okay. Core puts the, the filters, cuts out all these people. One, people don't have to upgrade. So now there's going to be like a pretty, like, interesting partition of like what is viable in the different versions of Bitcoin. And then two, it's literally trivial to just fork the previous version. Maybe there's enough developer bandwidth to start building future iterations off that fork. And like, maybe now there's exchanges and there's, there's miners that want to run that. Like, again, is that good for Bitcoin? Maybe. Again, that's an idea that's been debated for a long time. 
Like maybe it would take core doing something as drastic as cutting out all these people in order to actually economically incentivize people to like, oh shit, I should actually run a different version and I should fork this and do that. Again, I don't know. I'm very interested to see how it plays out economically. But again, as a Bitcoiner, I feel pretty sound in the fact that I have a distributed permissionless network that is going to really let the best ideas emerge. And again, like I'm trying to understand it. I'm obviously expressing my opinion to the public, but I'm also open to like learning. And I think a lot of that is because I have the network. Like the network is a tool to help me feel secure and feel confident and learn. Right. So, um, I, again, I, I, a lot of this is like, I want to talk to Bitcoiners because I think like we are the people who are running around talking about this system all the time. Like I want us to have a good composure. I want us to be confident in the network. And like, I, I personally think I, I've been seeing a lot of people who have had chronic bearish behavior, uh, and they have, uh, you know, they're, ex- they express a opinion that aligns with like this idea, like Bitcoin's broken and we need to fix it. Otherwise it's going to exponentially decay and, and disintegrate. Right. And like, I just, I can't, I don't think that's accurate. I just really don't. And then again, I, I think a lot of the rhetoric, rhetoric around that is, is getting pretty negative. Yeah. So I, yeah, I think I, I probably mostly agree there with you. I think it's that it's not an existential threat. It's not some big systemic issue. It's more like mild nuisance and maybe we'll get something out of it. But I think the point where I was maybe disagreeing a bit more is this kind of, oh, all the bu- any building is good sort of thing. And maybe that's not exactly the argument. It's sort of just like th- there seems to just be a bit of a, a softening of what counts as a layer two and what counts as building. And that oh, all these people are just kind of, you know, and I think that's where Giacomo was sort of getting at this idea that there's this kind of new narrative of like shit coins on Bitcoin of like this kind of, oh, we're, we're all a layer two and actually we've got our own token. And that's kind of, you know, the new, the new way to affinity, uh, to sort of affinity scam. And that's sort of, maybe that's really what people are kind of concerned about. Yeah. I mean, look, I post this all the time. Like Bitcoiners are obsessed with giving investment advice, but like, let's call it what it is. Like, don't buy legal securities. Like those are scams. Like there's no equity raised there. There's, there is no value there. Blah, 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 blah. Like this layer two is just an excuse to print. Like that is all investment advice. So it's like, Hey, when it comes to giving investment advice, like I'm happy to give investment advice. I'm obsessed with personal finance. That's how I got into Bitcoin in the first place. Right. I I would actually make the observation that most Bitcoiners have really bad personal finance, like etiquette. Um, and that they could probably have a much more stress-free life if they they thought a little bit more about personal finance. But despite that, most Bitcoiners still are obsessed with giving investment advice. And look, let's, stacking let's go into that. I'm curious. Let's hear. Let's hear so, a bit more like, on, on that tats- topic. Yeah. But like, so look, what, what again, are most my, Bitcoiners getting mm-hmm. wrong on personal finance? Okay. Well, in my opinion, when you think about Bitcoin as a investment that has asymmetric risk to reward, you eliminate. So asymmetric risk to reward means that you can invest a little bit. And you can have outsized gains, right? So it's a very, very small risk gives you massive gains. I think that's like one of Bitcoin's best features as an investment in this early stage. So with that observation, if you go all in or you go mostly in Bitcoin, you actually eliminate that, that asymmetry. Now you're all in. So it's like if Bitcoin succeeds, obviously you have massive gains, but if Bitcoin fails, you lose everything, right? You actually, 
eliminate one of Bitcoin's best investment properties. So I would say like from that first principle, like you can look at most Bitcoiners and be like, wow, <laughs> like your investment strategy is not one that is going to elongate your life, increase your happiness uh, and improve your lifestyle. Um, actually, your your investment strategy puts you at risk. Um, but with that being said, like, I think Bitcoin is going to win. I think that there's three logical scenarios for Bitcoin. Um, but this idea of like being all in while we're in this stage, to me, it doesn't necessarily make sense. For a lot of people, they can afford it. Like, I think Bitcoin puts you on zero by itself. You don't actually have to do anything, right? It's like over time as you're accumulating Bitcoin, uh, it becomes a larger percentage of your total value. Like it does that by itself. If you buy it in 2017, like it is enlarged in terms of your, your total amount of your value without you doing anything. If you buy in 2011, it's, it's even greater. Like you don't have to do anything for Bitcoin to put you on zero. You don't have to change your lifestyle at all. Just stack sets. So again, like I, I would say like the investment advice around Bitcoin is like stack sats, withdraw to your cust- to your self custody wallet. Not all, and a lot of times it's like get it off exchange as fast as you absolutely can. Like there's not a lot of like nuance around like, oh, maybe you should worry about how big your UTXO sizes are. Like maybe you should worry about these different elements that are also important. So it's like, I, I think that a lot of times Bitcoiners, they over index on like buying Bitcoin and they under index on all the other elements around like the personal finance of Bitcoin. And I think like they under index on all the other elements of the personal finance of living in the world today. So like they just give unrealistic advice. And then like most people that aren't like fully bought in, they aren't fully orange pilled, which is like 99% of the world. Like they don't take you seriously. Uh, or they're like, Oh, I have to take only partially of what they're saying. Like, Bitcoiners can't give me a complete answer. And again, like I'm being overly critical of Bitcoiners. Like I think I largely think Bitcoiners are way more right than most people. Like, but we're engaging with Clown World, and 99% of people are still living in Clown World, and we actually all live in Clown World too. Um, so I know that I've kind of gone on a big tangent here, but from the personal advice perspective, asymmetric risk to reward, you want to maintain that. Uh, and then in terms of taking out uncertainty. Just understanding how early we are in Bitcoin, you don't have to go on. It actually makes no, very little economic sense when you are optimizing for your life to go all in. Yeah. I mean, like that's, that, that's kind of how I, I view, uh, at least Bitcoin investment advice and, uh, where I think a little bit, uh, like there's bad investment advice being, being given, okay. uh, yeah. amongst, uh, amongst the hardcore people. Gotcha. Yeah. So, uh, definitely some arguments against the, uh, quote unquote, get on zero people. I know I've had my debates with them also. Um, but, uh, nevertheless, let's, let's bring it back to, uh, as you said, let's talk a little bit about what happened in 2023. Uh, I guess, do you want to just walk through a little bit from your perspective? The reason why you get in zero, it just doesn't make sense is because it, it, it removes the asymmetric risk reward feature. Because yeah, but I guess it, let me it, let me steal man for a second like, though. They would say yeah. we're that con- we're that confident, and Bitcoin is going to go up that much that you you know you just naturally you know you want to promote that system and you want to. I guess the get on zero argument would be I'm not making this. They would say, well, you want to minimize the amount of fiat you're holding because you, the fiat you're holding is helping the fiat system. Now, you know, I think the reality is the amount of that you know quote unquote plebs are holding is not really that material. Really, it's more like all these high net worth people and big pension funds and all these big funds who are holding T bills, right? Like that's really what's kind of propping up the fiat system per se. But you know, 
I guess a get-on-zero person could argue to you that, uh, hey, every little bit counts. Every little bit helps. Totally. I mean, look, as religions spread, there was a lot of martyrs early in the day. So that get-on-zero people is good for Bitcoin. It's just not good investment advice. It's Maybe it's like <laughs> really good like philosophical advice. Maybe like you want to harden yourself to be a martyr. But like, call again, call it what it is. Like, uh, we can separate these ideas out. And I think from an investment advice perspective, most people want to live a happy life. Like the assumptions I'm making when I'm looking, thinking about the investment advice, people want to live a happy life. People want to have security. People don't want to think about constantly selling assets. Uh, people want an easy way to preserve and accumulate wealth. So like when I think of like, what do most people want? You know, stacking stats is great advice. I think like staying humble, stacking stats is great advice. And I think that one of the reasons it's such great advice is because it does not assume that you are going to take too much risk in terms of your, your cash flow, in terms of your asset uh, diversification, in terms of anything. It just assumes that you are going to accumulate Bitcoin over time. And I think that that's the right way to do it. And Bitcoin is going to put you on zero by itself. Like Again, I think most Bitcoiners really like they underestimate how early we are but like if you if you divide bitcoin by any number of measures like we're not even at one percent so that means we're at the early innovator stage of the adoption uh curve so you know people have said we're, we're crossing the chasm like that's a joke like there's no math that supports that we're crossing the chasm and that's a good thing like bit like it's going to take time. It's going to take time. And that's a good thing because pe- we live in clown world. Like people are literally like <laughs> they're operating every action based on the economics of clown world. So like it's going to take time to convert them and we have to convert every person at a time. And ultimately utility is the ultimate conversion mechanism, but like that's going to take time. So if you want to be a martyr, that's cool, but that's not good investment advice. All right, let's get back into the yeah. ordinals. So stuff. let's go now back to the uh, ordinals, inscriptions, BRC20, stamps, conversation. So do you want to just walk through from your perspective uh, how you know this conversation and you know this kind of played out in 2023 for you? Yeah, I mean, I have to admit, you know, I have biases. I would consider myself a friend of Casey Rotomore before ordinals came out. Like I was the third guest on his podcast, Hell Money Podcast. So I, I heard of ordinals, like, as he was, like, talking about it, has he even shipped it? And he didn't really talk about the inscriptions part that much. He mostly talked about the meta protocol, which is effectively the Dewey Decimal System for Bitcoin. You know, what mo- the one of the biggest frustrations is, like, amongst the Bitcoiners I respect, there's a lot of, like, conflating. They call everything ordinals, even though there's, like, seven or eight different things here. So ordinals is specifically the Dewey Decimal System. Uh, again, you don't have to opt into it. You don't have to think it's smart. The reality is, is that like, like, let's just assume it's very stupid and it's a hallucination. Okay. So like assuming that it's a very stupid hallucination effectively is there's a bunch of people who are under a stupid hallucination and it's causing them to, to, to do Bitcoin transactions like that. That is, that is ultimately like what is happening. So it's like, what can you do to Bitcoin to stop people from having the hallucination over there, right? That's causing them to do Bitcoin transactions. Like, I don't know, but I've been, I've been privy to the idea longer. I'm friends with the guy who made it. So these are my biases. Um, 
going into it when it actually got launched, it was at the same time that Noster really started getting a lot of like attention and, and traction. And I remember, like, this is January 2023, I posted, like, this has already been one of the greatest months ever for Bitcoin. Like, you know, when I think of Bitcoin, I think of, like, Bitcoin's this permissionless emergent technology, and it's viral. And, like, now we attach Noster, and now we're bringing back the degenerates. Like, what is more viral for Bitcoin than those two things just being added on top of the stack? So, like, I, I had a positive view of it. From the beginning, again, I think from a Bitcoin maximalist, monetary maximalist perspective, I just think that like Bitcoin adoption happens from utility and virality and not from education or best practices or things that that, you know, hardcore Bitcoiners, you know, focus most of the time on. Yeah. Okay. so let me. um... So this is January 2023. That's where I'm at. Back to the show in a moment. When it comes to Bitcoin, we need to secure it using hardware security for larger amounts of Bitcoin. My favorite is the cold card by the CoinKite.com team. Over at CoinKite, you can get a range of Bitcoin security hardware, most notably the cold card, and they have this new device coming out soon, which is the cold card Q, which is a QR supporting device. Now, this is a really great way to have your private keys generated offline and keep them offline in such a way that they do not touch the computer. So you can have the cold card device where you can keep the keys on that device and sign messages using this device without it actually touching the internet connected computer so you can do that using the sd card feature which is uh, here or you can use the uh, nfc feature as well cold card supports a range of ways to secure your coins whether that is using passphrase using a multi-sig setup using seed xor there's so many options go to coinkite.com and order a cold card for yourself or for your family and friends use code lavera for a discount on your cold cards The lead sponsor of this show is swan.com. Over at Swan Bitcoin, you can buy Bitcoin and learn about Bitcoin. You can use the website or the mobile applications available on Android or Apple iPhone. With Swan, you can wire in some funds or you can use ACH and set up either an initial smash buy, lump sum buy, or you can set up an automatic recurring purchase plan aka stacking sats. You can set that up to just regularly purchase some Bitcoin every week or every month and you can withdraw Bitcoin to your wallet. Swan wants you to self-custody and makes withdrawals available for free. So they're free to you, the customer. So Swan makes it really easy for you with all kinds of educational content and material. I helped create a course with Swan called Welcome to Bitcoin recently. So that's also another resource that you can use to share with family and friends. This is a great time to Get started learning about the future of money. It's Bitcoin. So to get started, go to swan.com slash Levera and you'll get $10 of Bitcoin dropped into your account when you start stacking with Swan. And finally, mempool.space is the leading Bitcoin and blockchain visualizer. Over at mempool.space, you can see and keep an eye on what's going on in the mempool, see what the transactions are and see what fee level you need to target to get your transaction confirmed. I use mempool.space regularly. I often like to keep an eye on what things, what's going on there, and I always use it just before I send any on-chain transaction. Over at mempool.space, they are continually adding new ways of analyzing and visualizing the chain, and it's really cool. I like what they've got with mempool goggles, so you can interrogate or see what's going on with the different blocks and see, okay, what are which which of these are multi-signature, which of these signaled RBF. There's all kinds of uh, important information that's there, and I recommend you guys go and check it out. And of course, they've got an accelerator program, which you can sign up for. There's a wait list available over at mempool.space slash accelerator. And now, back to my show with Christian. Okay, yeah, yeah. So 
And I would say, uh, I can't remember, I think I did an interview with Casey maybe early February. And that was where I kind of had this kind of, okay, very early on about yeah. this thing. We need to kind of have and an explanation. That was a great interview. Yeah, that was a great oh, interview. You. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think, and I guess one point I would just make a quick point. I think, so yes, you're correct. Ordinals, like if we're talking just ordinals, it means the this serialization or this, this kind of external lens, which is arbitrary, as Casey admitted. But I think what's happened now is the term ordinals has also become an umbrella term, right? So as an example, there was like some ordinals conference in Asia and uh, Domo, the creator of the BRC20 protocol, was invited as a speaker, right? So it's kind of like ordinals, it's kind of like Bitcoin, the, the asset and Bitcoin, the network. You know, you have ordinals, the kind of the lens of, you know, this is a rare sat, this is an epic sat or whatever. And then there's also ordinals, the umbrella term that I would say encompasses BRC20, stamps, inscriptions, and, and sort of those other elements of it yeah i would say i'm not a big fan of the umbrella term just like i think like inflation is an umbrella term and i'm not a big fan of it because they those terms actually skew accurate and thoughtful conversation and they pretty much create inaccurate uh inaccurate talking past each other yeah so like, well, I, I think just people don't should like just be clear about what the they're speaking of, like, of you know yeah in the I mean, same way like, that when you say inflation do you mean monetary supply expansion or debasement or do you mean cpi inflation like consumer yeah, price prices inflation, going up which right? i mean prices going up can be caused by a lot of things including war supply chains yeah uh, and so in this case world, it'd be like whatever. do you mean <laughs> ordinals the protocol or do you mean ordinals and the associate and here's the other thing some of those protocols do leverage the ordinals lens right i believe brc20 does leverage a little bit of the ordinals lens inscriptions does leverage the ordinals kind of lens so there is a relation there right it's just that you ha- we have to be clear what we're talking about right you mean ordinals protocol or ordinals umbrella term right well i mean i think when it comes to hey we want to mount a defense against what we perceive to be spam i would say it's really important that you understand what is it that you are mounting a defense against, right? So, yeah, I, I just think that the umbrella term, it just doesn't help, especially if you're, like, trying to create, like, real-world strategy because, like, the real-world strategy needs to be accurate, um, ultimately, to actually work. Yeah. So, well, for, for what it's yeah, worth, again, I think... You can't the more stop pro- people from yeah. having a yeah. hallucination that is causing yeah. them to do Bitcoin transactions. If you want to tease out, like, which Bitcoin transactions are negative uh then i like i'm happy to have that conversation right and that's where for me and i've tried to be clear about this i see brc20 and stamps as really the more thing issue like that's really more of an issue to me because that's bloating the utxo set it's sort of you know and you could argue that it's kind of prematurely pricing out people from self-custody right because if you sort of are a let's say monetary maximalist you believe and i guess in this sense in this sense i'm talking in the prescriptive sense not the descriptive sense we were saying earlier right if you're prescriptively a maximalist monetary maximalist you want more people to be able to self-custody and if a lot of people because of artificially high fees let's say or quote-unquote you know prematurely high fees less people self-custody and more people just go to like custodians like coinbase and whatever does that make it the you know easier to be captured you know in the same way that gold was captured i guess that's kind of the that's the argument right how would you what do you think about that Totally. Look, I mean, one, I, I think that the, the prescriptive monetary maximalism is not super helpful in actually prescribing what you should do, because ultimately what you just described, like that's only going to marginally change the uh, 
like the self custody environment. It's I agree. only marginally changing it, right? And we need to change the self custody environment exponentially. So, like, it's a waste of our time. It's a waste of our energy. Ultimately, the monetary denseness of monet or the denseness of monetary transactions is what drives monetary maximalism in regards to Bitcoin, in regards to a distributed compute network for money. So I, I just I don't waste my time on the ought. I I I I I spend my time focusing on what is and understanding what is going to happen so I can have good predictions. Um, yeah. So I guess one other point. So again, I, I as I said, I'm not I'm not necessarily the pro filter camp, but the pro filter people would say, look. The node runners are the network. So if, if enough node runners do run some kind of spam filtering and enough, and I think crucially, it's important to point out there's two to tango here, right? Like the spammers want to spam, but the miners want to take that money. And so they, mm-hmm. w- they would sort of I would argue, argue there's that, three to yeah. tango and there's the right. developers who are doing what they want to do, right? And taking right. part of their process. And then you, you can see some of the pro filters people starting to have an animosity towards developers for their role, right? Or what they're perceived to be their yeah. role. And that's where I think things can get a little toxic. Um, and I, I think like, you know, we've seen people want to fire the core devs and create their own repo before and like right. have their own version of Bitcoin that aligns with what they want. And that turned into some, that was the toxic thing. Ultimately, it was good for Bitcoin. Like we needed to shake that out. We needed to reset the narratives. We needed to do all those things. But like businesses were lost, reputations were burned. Yeah. Um, well, there are, like, and, and here's could, the other thing: there are things that, that might well again. be good for Bitcoin, <laughs> but not good for existing Bitcoiners. And there, you know, 2017 was quite a. Uh, there was a lot of fallout in future years, right? Like we, some well-known Bitcoin contributors, you know, maybe they would still be here contributing, and you know, maybe some of them they they you know they they'd been going for like 10 years or whatever, and it was time to kind of give it a rest anyway, but. You know, there were prices to be paid for that. And even if you look at all the Craig Wright, you know, stuff, his, you know, his vexatious sort of lawsuits that have arguably had some chilling effect on Bitcoin developers, right? We can't really say that's good for Bitcoin, right? Like that, it's, it's objectively a bad thing that, uh, Craig Wright has gone after, you know, well-known, uh, experienced developers. And you, and yes, you could say, yeah, it, it creates new developers. Maybe some of them will be pseudonymous, but the reality is it takes time to sort of ramp up and be a really skilled contributor. And it's difficult to actually be a true pseudonymous contributor because oftentimes you need a certain level of resources and buy-in. And you, it's hard to get that if you're pseudonymous. Sometimes you have to meet up. Like they, sometimes they have in-person meetups or they might need to go to conferences to sort of build up a name and a brand for themselves mm-hmm. so that they can get sponsored to have, you know, to totally. get paid for their work. So, you know, I, that's I mean, why, hey, that's, that's why, why HRF is doing in bitcoin well, right yeah, now that's great and that's a great thing too. that you guys so are doing that it's important yeah yeah um but yeah, yeah so that's why for me i don't quite agree with this kind of everything good for bitcoin narrative i think there are some things that are good for bitcoin and things that are not so good so, so anyway let's bring it back to kind of advance let's advance from january 2023 how are you seeing the rest of that year play out from the let's call it ordinals inscriptions you know umbrella term umbrella term yeah i mean again i think it's really interesting to like think through what emerged, right? So ultimately there's a meta protocol. And like you said, there's other pro, there's other like meta protocols and form transaction styles that like leveraged the ordinals lens, right? So BRC 20, if you were to like think of BRC 20, like as it pertains to on chain, like it's literally a transaction that has 
it, it's like a yap stone that represents X amount of tokens. And then the the way that you can like move or or like categorize the yap stone is based on ord because like that's how you can own like that yap stone. And then you actually need set you need another layer on top of ord, which is like a centralized layer, which is called an indexer, which actually allows you to like move a single token. So it's like it requires lots of centralization to do this, and it's like layered on top. I would say like, yes, there's a lot of bad things that are happening as associated to that, but it's also really interesting to see like the emergent nature of this stuff. And like, yes, there's a, a lot of stupidity, but there's also like a lot of like ingenuity that is kind of like now kind of unleashed to potentially do things. Right. And again, I'm not trying to like make the Pete Rizzo argument that like that actually this ord ecosystem is good and good stuff will happen directly out of the like the development of this stuff but i do think that like it's an interesting lesson on like how bitcoin works because like ultimately bitcoin allows these transactions and it's going to allow the market to figure it out um and again like kind of like going back zooming out into like more of a philosophical lens you know anti-fragility doesn't mean like um repellent to uh, to volatility and, and, uh, negative, you know, kind of, uh, corrosive behavior. It just means that the system actually improves over time being exposed to it. And if that system is amongst fragile systems or even robust systems, that because that system is anti-fragile, it actually gets better while those things get worn down and broken down. So when I see like, you know, a, a lot of these things happening on Bitcoin, like, yes, like Bitcoin is taking punches, right? But if Bitcoin's an anti-fragile system, over time, like it's going to kind of like grow around like that attack vector and get hardened and get better. So like you brought up the example of like the developers being attacked by Craig Wright. Well, now there's things like Copa that are like discrediting him, like officially in, in clown world law. Um, and. They are, there's other kind of like funding resources that are now being used to harden that attack vector. So it's like, yes, the network and the apparatus can be attacked, but like the, like we're getting stronger by now addressing that attack. So again, that's why I, again, like I used to be very anti spam filter or the anti fix the filter. Now I think they're good. Like now I, I'm glad that it's happening at least. Like I, I'm not upset that like these people are going down this thought track. Um, but I would say like, yes, now, like first there's ordinals quickly after there's BRC 20, or I guess first there's inscriptions. That's what makes it all go viral. Uh, BRC 20 comes quickly after BitVM comes quickly after, um, OpCat comes quickly after, like these are actually really interesting conversations that are like emerging over the course of 2023. Um, and at the same time, I would say like maybe like the dissenters, the, the disrespecters, they're also like building and they're also like pushing things forward, right? So they're building wallets that can now operate better in a high fee environment like Aqua Wallet, right? Uh, things like, like Liquid are actually getting like a fourth or the fifth look. Um, you know, it feels like Liquid is going to absolutely need to a extremely high fee environment for anyone to, to even consider leveraging it. Uh, but people are starting to take a look at it and ocean comes out. Um, and I think ocean is very interesting because like 
they weren't very forthright with their filtering intentions. It was something that kind of like got discovered. So I can't decide if that was like really bad business or if that was actually super genius because now uh, ocean protocol and uh, sorry, ocean mining uh, is something that's on the tip of everyone's tongue. And like it could have been like a genius marketing play. So like I can't (laughs) even really understand like if it was good or bad for ocean to to do it. I don't think they were hiding the filtering aspect though, but I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Hey, they had this big release that talked about decentralizing uh, the the choice of your block filter over time in Stratum V2, uh, but they did not really talk about like, hey, this is also going to be a way to express a disrespecter perspective. Uh, and that had to be discovered via like the people observing like their, their actions and the, the blocks that they mined. And I think like, again, like I think that the way that the samurai thing went down was, uh, was, uh, I don't know. Like, I can't make up my mind if, if that was good or bad ultimately for, for Ocean as a business. But again, like, as a, as an observer of is like the development of all this good for Bitcoin? I, I would say yes, even though I have been relatively frustrated with like Bitcoiners rhetoric. Okay. So when we're talking about the, you know, good or bad, like for me, it's more like I'm seeing it more like there are certain things that are just more like low level issues, not really a big deal. Bitcoin is, is kind of strong enough anyway. And, you know, I think it, it to me the thing that kind of I got a little more annoyed about was more this kind of narrative of oh, see the builders are coming back to Bitcoin now because of the spam, right? Like that to me felt very disingenuous, right? Because it was sort of disrespecting, let's say, the work of the people who are actually you know working really hard to make the protocol more efficient to do all you know think about how much work Bitcoin protocol developers were putting in to save every little byte right for transactions and then boom these brc20 and all this other stuff just comes in and just completely like blows so much of that away uh and you could say that it makes it harder to run a bitcoin node or to sync to download and sync to do that initial block download but at the same time you could also make the argument that look really more people being interested in running a bitcoin node is going to massively outplay that anyway uh so so in the end maybe it's not a huge huge deal either way uh because there'll be all these new people who want to use it for other things anyway, or just more people coming into the ecosystem such that even if it's like a little bit relatively harder to run, there's just so many more people who want to do it. Yeah, I mean, again, like, I think what you're talking around from a philosophical um, and kind of like observational perspective, when I think through like, what are your considerations? And how does that apply to like a worldview of Bitcoin? It's like grappling with is Bitcoin anti-fragile or is Bitcoin robust? And then like how much of Bitcoin success is centered around the rightness of the prevailing narrative right now versus the economics of the underlying network. Um, so like, I wish I could have the answer. I'm relatively confident that Bitcoin is anti-fragile and the economics of the underlying network is what is ultimately going to uh, govern these outcomes. But it's a learning experience. I could be completely wrong. We could be, you know, my perceptions of, of what happened in 2017 and the lessons that, you know, emerged from there could be off base. And we might not even know for another five years. Like that's the tough part. But like me as a, as like a observer, as a Bitcoiner that's like experiencing this in real time, I have really two ways to like grapple with, with the fact that like my understanding of the system right now is re- is right and or wrong 
uh, of based on, uh, you know, in, in certain directions. And, you know, I can either get upset when the network and the reality like disproves that, um, or, or I can, or I can accept it and update my, my narrative. Um, so I think I'm, again, I'm going on a tangent, but, yeah. um, but let, let's bring to, it back to, to then to bring it. Yeah. To yeah. bring it back again, uh, to bring it back, like to your considerations, like, I, I am not necessarily worried because my mental model on Bitcoin is that like it's the underlying economics that govern this and that like these narratives that we're spinning are, are, they can't actually align with the network a hundred percent. And so therefore they're going to be proven wrong. So when you're upset about like these narratives, the shitcoin on Bitcoin narrative, the whatever, like the only thing that matters is are people using the network? Is the network actually proliferating? Are there more nodes being synced? Uh, and then by how much? And like, the, the, there are objective ways to measure this stuff. Um, it, and like, your opinions on the narratives that are being spun, like, yes, I think it's good to be expressing that in the battlefield of ideas, but ultimately, like, there's a way to measure this. And like, I'm not going to get upset because the, the VCs are coming back and they want a shit coin. Like I'll, I'll tell people like, that's probably bad investment advice. There's probably legal implications to that. I'm not a lawyer. Um, whatever. Like I could tell people like it's a hallucination. It's a hallucination. Uh, like the Bitcoin protocol doesn't actually support your ownership of any of this arbitrary information. It like the Bitcoin protocol does support. Uh, that information becoming extremely, extremely difficult to remove from the world. Uh, so that's a, a feature that the Bitcoin protocol supports. Like I'm happy to have, make all of these distinctions in an intelligent conversation with people. But like when it comes to like, Hey, we need to like get core to put these filters in because of all this stuff I'm upset about. Like that's when I was like, Hey, let's slow down. Like now you're talking yeah. about making, making updates to Bitcoin. Yeah. And I agree with you on that particular point, right? Like I said, I'm, I'm a, I, I like what the Ocean guys are doing in general, right? Having Stratum V2 and so on. Uh, I just don't believe the filtering approach will work. So let's sort of, I mean, as, as I mentioned in other episodes. So do you want so to talk it out from you, your perspective? You've had, a, you've had a mental battle with, with like coming to that decision that you don't think filtering will work. I would yeah. love to hear your perspective of like kind of like going through that process. Okay. Of, yeah, gotcha. Like, so let me, let me talk to you a little bit. Like, I guess my history work. with it. I guess for me, it was... Like in early 2023, when people were sort of, oh, what's this ordinals thing? I think I wrote, I might have even written an article for Bitcoin Magazine. I think I did. Um, and uh, I was basically pointing out to people that there's probably not a good way to stop this thing. That was kind of mainly what I was saying. And I was trying to explain a bit about what it was. Then later in the year, I was sort of thinking, well, maybe we should at least call a spade a spade, right? Like I think it is spam, but we just can't stop it because realistically, even if Bitcoin Core did filters, realistically, spammers can find a way to route around it, right? There have been, and here's the thing, like if we look back in Bitcoin's history, there, have, there has been this kind of thing before. Satoshi Dice, there was Counterparty back in the day, there was Veriblock, uh, all kinds of other things where people were putting their stuff on the chain. Um, and so even though in practice they, they went away, I, I'm not sure, I'm not convinced that filtering you know, I basically I sort of I was on, at one point I was sort of on the fence thinking oh, maybe maybe there should be something done about it, and then I sort of come back to saying uh, look it's probably not going to work it's likely to be a stalemate we're better off just you know ignoring that and focusing on Bitcoin adoption in the monetary sense that's that's kind of where I'm at at least today. Yeah, I mean I think that that's that's pretty fair. 
I mean, I, I think the other that thing we're to add, largely I think in the same One place. other thing that I'll just point out that um, there was a lot of confusion because people weren't clear on, as you said, this kind of umbrella term was happening and there was the distinctions. So really, it's BRC20 that's been really driving the fees crazy, right? And then I think that is maybe what's setting off some of the people who are let's say, in the Global South kind of countries, people like Anita Posh, I did an episode with her recently, or some of the people in the circular economies, because they're trying to obviously teach people Bitcoin, and now they're kind of stuck in this very high-fee scenario when that just that's a recent phenomenon, right? Or it was only a bull market phenomenon. It wasn't just kind of like a, you know, happening in normal times. Whereas this BRC20s were protocol and the minting dynamic created there was what was pumping the fees so high kind of pricing out a lot of the Global South people. So I think there was maybe there was a bit of a concern of equity from that perspective. Now, look, I think we all agree it's going to go that way long term. So, you know, better, better to, you know, it's a good thing now that people are learning that and also now learning that, hey, we need to learn about uh, minimum UTXO sizes. I will point out that Swan has like a 1 million sat threshold, but I would say nowadays 1 million is probably like a minimum threshold and you should ideally be above that if you want to be safe in, in a future high-fee scenario. Yeah, big UTXOs are, are, I guess like, this is a nuanced thing and people are still figuring out optimal UTXO management. Like, I, I got into this in, this space in late 2017 uh, and like the best practices around UTXO management, batching, all that stuff has escalated exponentially right and uh the the future development in this front is also like very very robust um so like what i would say is that pretty much after like let's call it the resolution of the big block debate and then you know really the break of bitcoin and crypto there's been a very unfairly cheap bitcoin uh price it's it's been unfairly cheap to get space on the most secure monetary network on the planet. Uh it like making a bitcoin transaction is equivalent to shipping gold. Like in terms of the the current monetary stack. So that has in my opinion been relatively good for adoption around that needs cheap adoption and needs a payment infrastructure that's already like available, which is the the core bitcoin payment network. But ultimately you know, because of that, like, mispricing of the base layer, it's driven up models that are not economically sustainable. And those models have people that are now affected. And those people are having people, human reactions to having their model break. And they're grappling with that. Um, cognitively, technologically, uh, all the above. So this is just part of the process. And like, you know, Bitcoin adoption has never been about equity in terms of like how it happens in practice. It's been about equity in terms of the end result of getting onto a better system. So it's like, I agree we need that, to yeah. be accurate with this. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. So let's talk a little bit about, I guess, what you think the future might hold. Of course, predictions are difficult, but I guess, uh, let me start with this one. I think there's now this runes protocol. It seems to be gaining some traction and uh, Casey uh, is creating this runes protocol. It, it competes with other ideas like RGB or others. Um, but I guess it's, seen, it's more simple and there's not as much off-chain data storage as it, there would be with like RGB or maybe Taproot assets. So maybe some of that transactional demand will come over to using runes, which is actually a bit less pollutive and at least a bit better from the UTXO set perspective. Um, and so... We'll see what happens there. But I'm curious if you have any predictions or any thoughts on where things go here. 
Yeah, I mean, look, I I'm not really a token expert. <laughs> like, I'm a I love Bitcoin, um, and a lot of like my thinking towards Bitcoin comes from uh, a deep care and and uh, passion for the system. I think that Casey is really smart. I think that Casey understands the Bitcoin network and the uh, the TAM around the potential TAM around Bitcoin better than most developers. And I think that it's objectively true when you see at what he's built and the what uh, the virality and uh, the and the economic activity that has uh, happened around it. I also think that that Casey uh, has a very good understanding of the economics of Bitcoin, and therefore he builds things that are pretty well aligned. So I think uh, Pete Rizzo's made this point that. The Ord protocol is actually like if you're going to shitcoin, like it is the most like kind of clean way to do it. No token, uh, a clean airdrop to all Bitcoin holders, uh, something that uh, was permissionless. Like it didn't require you lobbying changes to uh, or, or building consensus. Uh, it just happened, you know, it was possible around the technology that's already at hand. Like I think that there's a lot of admirable things there. Uh, and now that he's building runes, uh, based on like his observations of like kind of like the shit coins on Bitcoin ecosystem thus far, I mean, I'm sure that it is well thought out. Is it going to be successful? Is it going to take off? You know, I think that there's some lessons in like how Bitcoin works and what and how markets work that we can potentially learn from observing what, what goes down there. In terms of like what's going to happen with Bitcoin, I think we're entering into a bull run. I think the degeneracy is going to exceed, is going to increase. Um, that's inevitable. Um, and I think that there's going to be a lot of bad behavior and there's going to be a lot of, um, not Bitcoin best practices and there's going to be a lot of pitfalls. Uh, but price is going to be going up a lot and it's also going to be really good for the Bitcoin only ecosystem. Um, I don't think anyone is bullish enough. Maybe people are too bullish on this next four years, but on Bitcoin long term, if it is what we say, the maximalists say it is, I don't think anyone's bullish enough. Um, but part of the reason why is because no one can anticipate the permissionless emergent things that Bitcoin will provide us. Um, and I think that again, the whole ordinal craze, uh, is, is proof of that because, you know, the maximalists were in control this whole time, yet, how did all this happen, right? How, how did we miss this? How, how did this How did this craze happen that is so misaligned with monetary maximalism? I think it's time to reflect and try to be like, okay, well, how can we update our worldviews? Right, yeah. I mean, for me, it's more just that I think it's just calling a spade a spade, right? Like, I just think it's spam, right? It's not, uh, to me, it's not a, I don't view it as like a challenge to the overall idea that, yeah, people want to use, right? Well, there's, put it this way. There's a famous, uh, I think there's a quote by Peter Weller, you know, well-known Bitcoin developer, model blockchain demand as infinite, right? Like just, there will always be people who want to use the chain, right? There will just always be people who want to use the chain. And maybe that's also part of the argument against like a block size increase because maybe there'd just be more spam on the chain, you know? Maybe that's something that people will bring up in future years, right? Maybe this is just a craze, but in five or 10 years time, there might be people being like, hey, we need a block size increase. And then people will be like, hey, remember in 2023 when there was all this BRC20 and all this other spam? That's what we got when, you know, so who knows? Um, but yeah, I agree with you. We're, go- we're probably going into a bull run. I mean, as we speak now, Bitcoin is uh, pumping over $49,000 per, you know, per coin. Um, and that is News likely... To me. Let's go. 
Yeah, and it's um likely to pump the the block space market as well, right? Fees will get more expensive, right? Even even taking out all the ordinals, BRC stamps, whatever, just transacting on Bitcoin is going to get more expensive. So you know, get ready for it. Uh, but at the same time, it's uh it's winning. So we have to be careful. You know, be careful what you wish for. Did you want to win or not? Right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like uh, there's like an addiction to losing amongst libertarians and like Bitcoiners need to shed that as fast as possible. And ultimately, we are winning, but we're less than 1% adoption. So any marginal person added to that coalition is powerful for Bitcoin, even if like even if you think that they're shitcoiners, because shitcoiners rub shoulders with Bitcoiners way more than a no coiner does. So I guess the only other point I would make here is what about the point of confusion, right? Here's the other thing. As you've seen, and I'm sure you've seen this too, right? There's a lot of people Bitcoiners who've been spread talking... confusion, bro. I, well, that's Bitcoin, true. I love Bitcoin best practices, but Bitcoiners also spread confusion. Like I'm all about having an intelligent, thoughtful, accurate conversation here, but like let's call the spade a spade. There's lots of confusion. A lot of it is spread by Bitcoiners, not because they're malicious, but because we need to update our narratives over time. Or people and, just, it's not narratives, narratives I would say it's more like down. people need to sort of, well, I think I sort of disagree a little bit there. I think it's more like, okay, yes, there's a point of people knowing really like what's actually going on, right? And sometimes people are sort of talking about things without really knowing what's going on. But there's also an element of, you know, calling a spade a spade a spade, right? Like if it's spam, calling it spam as opposed to sort of giving up that narrative, giving up that sort of uh, frame of like, oh yeah, that's legitimate building you're building these shit coins on Bitcoin and then people who come in will be like, oh, I, you know, oh yeah, CK, I didn't, I didn't buy that Bitcoin thing, but I bought the Ripple token, right? Like that kind of, you're like, that's, that's a, that's a problem. And I'm sure you and I have both, I've, I've dealt with that kind of thing as well. People have come to me being like, oh yeah, I bought this other token. Isn't that, aren't they all the same? Isn't Bitcoin the same as all those other things? And that to me is maybe there's a, there's some element of legitimate criticism there that I think is still you know, I, I still have a legitimate angle of criticism there, but I agree with you overall that, uh, you know, we're going into a bull cycle, we're winning, and I agree with you that there's a lot of libertarians and Bitcoiners who sometimes they can't see an, a win and just take the win when we've got it. Sometimes they just have to always find an angle that is negative, and um, maybe that's a psychology thing. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, look, they're not used to winning. Uh, Bitcoin has been winning since 2009. And, uh, you know, it's time to get used to being on the winning team. Uh, what I would say in terms of like the confusion element, we're less than 1% adoption in clown world. Like confusion is the base. We are operating from a state of confusion. And we're all trying to emerge from that state of confusion. So therefore, it's like, can you bring clarity like only marginally, and you mostly need to work on yourself because you're starting, everyone is starting from a state of confusion because everyone's economic backdrop is the fiat system. So like, that's why Bitcoiners have routinely created confusion. This is historically true about their own system the entire fucking time. It's been false narratives that get broken down by the reality of the network and then new narratives that get built up and then a repeat of that process. That's been the whole thing. You know, the toll 27 debate and a lot of the confusion because Microsoft and all these companies adopted Bitcoin based on confusion, false narrative around payment technology. 
Yeah, that was confusion spread by Bitcoiners. Yes, there are, there's a lot of confusion spread by fiat economists and altcoiners, and they all have an economic incentive to do so, right? Everyone has an economic incentive to spread confusion. We're in the baseline of fiat. And I know that that is like a, a trope. And I know that that is, you know, not sophisticated worldview, but like at the same time, I think that it's pretty helpful to like think of it that way. Um, and, and have some humility in terms of like us tooth finding. Um, because like that's ultimately like what this whole journey is about, right? Yeah. So uh, I think I'll put it on, you know, let's say narratives. I think really it's that, you know, it just comes down to, you know, there's 20, no more than 21 million coins and, you know, HODL. Like I think that's probably like the simplest I could make it for people. Uh, and what, what we've seen over time is kind of different ideas come around that and different, you know, narratives and propaganda. But really, if you're trying to get to the truth as much as you possibly can, it's that. It's that you, you know, that's really the, the, the base of it. And I think there are certain, let's say, memes or ideas that kind of align well with that, right? Like, I think the idea of savings technology really aligns very well. That's, you know, it aligns with stacking sats, hodling. Like, that's, that's, uh, I think a very accurate way to put it out there. Um, I think, yeah, I think some of the, the shitcoin on Bitcoin narrative is kind of inaccurate and propagandistic. And so maybe that's really the, the critique that I would have. Um, but anyway, let's, let's finish up here. Do you have any closing thoughts and where can people find you? Uh, Stefan, I really appreciate you having me on. Uh, this is a really fun conversation and I think I've experienced a lot of growth preparing for this conversation. So, uh, thank you for the opportunity um, my closing thoughts are, you know, if Bitcoin's an anti-fragile system, then false narratives over time are ultimately going to make system of Bitcoin a better system uh, and help us as a Bitcoin ecosystem uh, learn how to describe Bitcoin more accurately. Uh, so that's a process. We're all undergoing that process. No one here is above that process. You know, not even Satoshi was above that process. If you do a decent amount of research on that, you know, the history of all this stuff, you know, I would say a lot of developers would say like his kind of final action to like secure the Bitcoin uh, network and to make sure it was robust from any attacks was to take away all the opcodes. Um, and a lot of people would say like a lot of the drama that's been, you know, kind of built up from the development space from that moment has, you know, kind of been around like, how do we bring back some of this functionality because we need it to scale? So again, no one is above this learning experience, right? And ultimately we have this tool. That's the Bitcoin network and we are engaging with it and it is, uh, showing us the reality because that's what Bitcoin does. It's mirror. It shows us what is the economic reality that's at hand. So we, we can have a choice. We can, we can stick to our narrative. We can understand what's happening on the econo- with the economic reality and we can engage with the system. So that's how I view this whole thing. Um, you know, again, I, I'm not defending shitcoining, but I'm defending what I view to be like Bitcoin's kind of nature. Um, and, and my understanding of that. And I'm really open to, to, Continuing this conversation, I think it's an important conversation. I'm really open to changing my mind and and updating my worldview. I think that has to be like a fundamental element of how Bitcoiners approach the world. Um, in terms of my work, I was at Bitcoin Magazine for five and a half years. Now I'm at HRF, uh, directing financial freedom there. Uh, we have a big stake in 
Bitcoin adoption in the global south and places where people are economically disenfranchised, um, but looking to do it in a scalable way, looking to invest in developers, looking to invest and 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 put grant money into uh, emergent technology. Uh, so we have a Bitcoin development fund uh, that people can apply to. Uh, and there's a lot of other great stuff out there that we are trying to push forward. Uh, would really recommend people keep an eye out on CBDCs. That development is is truly scary and uh, is profuse. So uh, cbdctracker.hrf.org is a great resource I would recommend. Um, but yeah, uh, engage with me on uh, on Twitter, on Noster, uh, CK underscore Snarks, uh, and all those places. Fantastic. Well, thanks, CK. It's been great to chat with you, and uh, let's uh, let's get used to winning. <laughs> Let's go. We are winning. All right. I hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure to subscribe, share it out there with family and friends. Let me know what you think. And of course, make sure you check out my website, stefanlevera.com and weekly newsletter at stefanlevera.substack.com. Thanks. And I'll see you in the Citadels.